Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome. I am Diana Kander, innovation coach and speaker. And for the purposes of this podcast, I am the guinea pig. See, about a year ago, I put together this list of 49 different things that I wanted to improve about myself. And each week I talked to an expert and discovered that the thing I had on my list was not actually what I was supposed to be working on. Like this week, I thought I wanted to be a better interviewer for this podcast, you know, bring you better content. And in the process of learning about it, I found out that I was actually had a lot of room to improve on just general conversation. That was quite a blind spot discovery for me. It was something I used to think that I was pretty good at and found out that I really wasn't. Honestly, this week's show has had a bigger impact on my daily life than any other this season. It has changed almost all of my interactions, and I'm confident that it could have the same kind of impact for you. My guest today is Celeste Headley. Celeste is an award-winning journalist, professional speaker, and author of We Need to Talk, How to Have Conversations That Matter. In her 20-year career in public radio, she anchored programs including Tell Me More, Talk of the Nation, All Things Considered, and Weekend Edition. Celeste's TEDx talk, sharing 10 ways to have a better conversation, has over 19 million views to date. As an NPR host and journalist, Celeste has interviewed hundreds of people from all walks of life. Through her work, she sheds a much-needed light on the lost and essential art of conversation. Celeste and I talk about how people usually mess up a good conversation, why the smarter you are, the worse you are at conversation, probably, most likely, the biggest misconceptions people have about being good at conversations, and just generally how to ask much better questions. Before I get to the meat of the interview, please do me a favor and make sure that you've rated the show wherever you listen to it. I would love to know which episode has been your favorite so far, what additional guests might be a great fit for the show, whatever it is that you'd like to share. Every time you hit that review button, our tribe goes bigger and it makes it easier for me to bring you amazing content like this conversation with Celeste Headley. Pretty much this show has been a process where I think I want to learn about something very simple and then I learn as I get into it that I'm really quite bad at all this other stuff that I had no idea about. And your book was exactly that for me. I thought I needed help. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought I needed help interviewing better for this show just to be a better host. And then I learned that I'm actually quite poor at just basic conversation. So thank you very much for that, Celeste. My pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> so... I now I would just want to get better at conversations. So yeah, let's walk through your methodology. After many conversations, I walk away with just a lot of regret. Like ah, should have said this. I wish I didn't say that. So besides my own, you know, regret and shame, how do I know if I'm good at it? Well, those moments are actually really valuable. Those times when you say, "Oh dang, I wish I hadn't said that," or whatever it may be, because what you should 
at that point, what you can do is take it one step further. In other words, I wish I hadn't said that. Why did I? So what was it that led up to it? Was it because um, you were too quick to speak? Did you not take the time that you needed? Were you not listening really carefully to what they were saying? Like you kind of need to be aware of, of why conversations are going wrong for you to begin with. Because the biggest problem, by far, the biggest problem people have is that they don't do what you do, which is say, oh my God, this is on me. More than four out of five people, when a conversation goes bad, say the fault lies with the other person. More than four out of five, which means almost all of us. So the first step is to sort of figure out where are the places, what are the things you need to work on? Where are the places where your conversational skills are not serving you well? And then you can try to figure out how to, to change those habits. Do you, like, for example, tell me something that you often do in a conversation that... That I relate a regret. It's, it's almost always that I said like one too many things. That, that I shared something I shouldn't have shared. I went too far into something or, or I just said something I shouldn't have. <laughs> if I just said nothing during a conversation, I feel like it would just go much better for me. <laughs> well, you know, there is recent, recent research that shows that you, uh, people enjoy conversations more when they speak less. So that, uh, <laughs> that urge on your part to not speak as much is, is probably a good one. I mean, you can start there. One thing that might help you is just getting yourself to wait. So like one of the improv things I often do in um, workshops is I will have people start their sentence using the last word the other person used. And the reason I do that is because I want them to be listening all the way to the end until the very last word that other person says. And then because they have to think, how can I use that last word in a sentence? They're usually pausing for a few seconds. And it's a really good exercise in terms of not only having you listen all the way to the end of something, but also, again, getting that pause built in. Because I bet that what may happen is you may get overexcited or stimulated, or you may be really engaged by the conversation, and you're speaking before you've given yourself a thought to what it is that you're about to say. No question. No question that right. happens all the time. <laughs> right. So what you're going to want to do is get into the habit of taking that extra two seconds. We tend to think that if we let a few seconds of silence go by, it's going to feel awkward or the other person is going to jump back in and start talking. But actually, people give you a good amount of time. They'll give you five to ten seconds before they'll jump, jump back in in general. So you have the time. Let's talk about this concern that people have about the other person taking up too much of the space because, you know, your book really opened my eyes to the idea that we're, we're focused way too much on ourselves during a conversation. You had a good term for it. That was brand new to me. Conversational narcissism. Yeah. I don't, I don't like that kind of self-identification, but it's a hundred percent true. And you had this great analogy in the book where you said, if you think about it like the camera on your smartphone and whether it's facing you or the other person, that that's 
it should be a back and forth instead of you constantly trying to switch it back to yourself. Right. To constantly putting it back into selfie mode. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, I mean, I first want to give all of us an out. This is not something that you do. This is something we do. And it's totally understandable. It is very pleasurable to talk about yourself. That's one of the things I talk about in the book is the study from Harvard in 2012 that showed that talking about yourself activates your dopamine. That's the same addiction. That's the same hormone, um, addictive hormone that's stimulated by sex and heroin. It is inherently pleasurable to talk about yourself. So I understand the urge. But that also means it's going to be kind of difficult to break this habit. And so you're going to have to kind of practice it. So one of the things that I did at the very beginning was keep a stopwatch with me and just press it without looking at it because I didn't want to distract me, but press it when I started talking. And then every once in a while, look down and check. And if I was getting close to 60 seconds, I stopped talking. Hmm. And you don't have to do that too long before you start getting a sense for how long a minute is. Yeah, this is like keeping a food journal, right? It's a it's a journal of how much of the talking you're doing and even what kinds of things you're saying to the other person. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I just want people to start being more aware. Um, and another another exercise I mentioned in the book is write down like five things that bug you the most when other people do them. Like, what are the things other people do in conversation that get on your nerves? Just talk endlessly. Right. Talk endlessly. Okay. (laughs) What's the other one? What's the other one? I don't know. Talk about things I'm not interested in. Yeah. Bore you to death. Okay. (laughs) Is it, I mean, common ones. And how about interrupting you? Sure. Yes. Or how about not paying attention to me while I'm talking? Like being on their phone, let's say. Right. Looking at their phone. Other places. Right. So if you were to write these things down and just put them down as a list and then presented them to the people in your life and said, hey, I'm trying to get better at conversation. How many of these things do I do? What you may discover is the things that bother you the most are very often the things you are guilty of. Um, I would imagine that if your biggest regret is always that you said something you weren't (laughs) supposed to, it's possible that you talk a little bit too long also. I'm coming to realize that. <laughs> so um, that's one of the first things. And the first step is almost always awareness and, and trying to get people to be more aware of the things that they're saying, how much they're saying, um, not to make people self-conscious, because again, we're all doing this. I mean, the number one most common response, I do speeches on this all over the world. The number one most common response is, Oh my God, I do all of those things. <laughs> completely common. So this is not meant to be self-aware, to make you subconscious. It's more um, to make you aware of where you're kind of have room for improvement so that you can actually make it better. We think of conversation, you know, it's, it's odd. We watch like Sesame Street or, or kid shows and kid shows are really interactive, right? I mean, Kid, the, the show is constantly asking the kids questions. They're telling them to shout stuff out. They're having them respond. They're engaging them. They're interactive. And, we, you know, so we sit there and we watch Sesame Street and we say, oh, that's how kids learn. That's how you keep kids engaged. No, that's how you keep human beings engaged. That's how we all like to be spoken to. 
And you say that the smarter you are, like research shows, the worse you are at conversation. And can you help me understand that? The likelihood. I mean, obviously it's research. We're always talking about likelihood, but yeah, it's more likely you'll, your conversational skills will go down. Um, there's a few reasons for this. I mean, number one, you're smart. That means you probably know a lot, which means that you probably go through life um, wanting to tell other people about all the stuff you know. That's number one. So you're going to tend to dominate conversations and talk without listening. Another thing is that the smarter you are, the more likely you are to assume you know what the other person is saying. And that's when you get the people who are like, yeah, 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 uh-huh, 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 which they're trying to, <laughs> they're trying to relate to the other person. I know what you're saying. Stop. So I can now talk again. <laughs> and another re- reason for this is that human beings are um, unlikely to truly listen to people they think are not as smart as they are or are of lower rank. So basically what that means is that if your subconscious brain has decided that someone else is not as smart as you or that they're lower rank in business or even in social situations, you don't listen to what they say. Not really. So again, that means that uh, listening becomes a conscious exercise. It becomes something you actually have to work at. And sometimes you're fa- you'll fail. You won't be able to do it all the time because listening requires energy. <laughs> but it is something you're going to have to be conscious of. So, okay, how do I get started? How, how do I get started at being a, a better conversationalist at all these things that I don't like it when other people do that I'm clearly myself doing? So pick one of them. What's one, what's the one habit you have in conversation that you think would be the easiest to change? I don't know that it's the easiest to change, but I'm most interested in changing being the conversational narcissist. Narcissist. So there's a number of different ways to improve your, you're talking, what you're talking about is being a better listener. Yes. Um, and there's a number of ways to do that. One of the first ways is to start listening for people's meanings rather than the actual words they choose. So you're going to be listening as though, let's say that you are watching like an Ingmar Bergman film and you're listening really closely because you're like, what does this even mean? Right? So you're trying to figure out what the meaning is behind what they're saying. I want you to approach all of your conversations like this that you're trying to hear the un- unspoken underlying meaning behind what people are doing. I want you to psychoanalyze people. I just want you to realize that what pe- the words people are choosing and the way they articulate ar- their ideas is not always the perfect way of articulating them. So I want you instead to be saying, okay, what are they really saying to me? They're saying their job really sucks. On, on the surface, that sounds like they, they want me to tell them either to quit their job or find them a solution or whatever it may be. But what's, what is this really about? What do they really mean? And sometimes you won't be able to tell and you'll have to ask. You have to say, okay, wait, you said you hate your boss, but then, you know, 30 seconds later, you said you admire your boss more than any other, whatever it may be. Help me understand what it is that you're talking about. All of these things, by trying to hear what's really being said, not only is it going to make you a better listener, but it's also going to lead you to ask follow-up questions. 
And that's a huge part of listening. So what you're talking about is not just asking questions because you know you should be asking questions in theory, (laughs) but how to come (laughs) up with, because that was one of my other questions. Like, I know I'm supposed to ask people questions, but how do I come up with good questions? And you're, (laughs) you're saying, you know, this is the method by which you make yourself curious enough to ask the next question. Yeah. And and let's say that where they're doing one of your other pet peeves and they're boring you to death. You could say, hey, I hate to interrupt you, but you know what I'm really curious about? What do you think of this? Or remember when we were talking about whatever it may be, or you have this really cool tattoo. I hate to interrupt you, but I'm so curious about this tattoo. Can you tell me the story? Believe me, there's always a story behind every tattoo. (laughs) So it's like you can use your honestly, authentically curious questions to interrupt somebody who's maybe going on and on. Remember that at those times when maybe you are, are regretting having said a bunch of stuff, other people experience that too. So very often, they don't mind being interrupted out of curiosity. They, it, people mind being interrupted for the sake of letting the other person talk. Right, so I should right? always be mindful of that camera angle and whether the next thing I'm saying is directing at me or the other person. Right. And then that section on Charles Gerbil, you remember he was talking about the difference between a shift response and a support response. Do you remember that? Yes. But for the people that haven't read the book. So let me explain this to you. Like, let's say that you said to me, I am really trying to get, improve my conversational skills. A shift response will be, oh my God, me too. I just had a conversation with my neighbor yesterday and it went, horribly. I don't even know what went wrong, right? That's shifting. That's me turning the camera back on myself. A support response would be, oh, what are you trying to work on? What went wrong? Was there a conversation that went badly? Why are you trying to do this? That's a support response. And so when you're asking questions that are support responses rather than shift, then it's going to keep them engaged. Then most people have no problem with that kind of interruption. I tried this out at lunch today and I, I went into curiosity and the person said to me when I started asking him a question, I was like, oh yes, I love talking about this stuff. And I was like, oh, it's working. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's what you're looking for, right? When, when that's it's exactly working, right. people being like, that's a fantastic question. You're so smart for asking that question. And they do think you're smart. You know, I, people think I'm very smart in interviews. I'm not really. <laughs> it's just that I, I am honestly, genuinely curious about things. And frankly, the more you ask people questions, the more really cool, interesting information you're going to get and the smarter you will become. But don't forget how pleasurable it is to talk about yourself. And when you're asking other people questions and allowing them to talk about their areas of expertise, you're giving them that pleasure as well. So every time my brain interjects though, and is like, you should say this thing, you should share this experience. What do I say to, to that part of my brain that, that wants to get the dopamine? Like, do that, do I say, yeah. Do I say like, they don't really care. That's not what they're here for. (laughs) So, you know, the difference between dopamine and serotonin is pretty stark. And all of these, you know, there's the three main neurotransmitters in our brains, right? There's dopamine, which we talked about. That's the addiction hormone. Um, There's serotonin, um, which is often what's missing when someone is uh, depressed. 
many of the pharmaceuticals actually in, are trying to boost your serotonin levels. And then there's oxytocin, which is like your mommy's hug. <laughs> we, we actually spend pretty much this entire season talking about the three neurotransmitters in a variety oh, of fantastic. different episodes. Yes. So when you are in a conversation, try to remember that you're not chasing dopamine. Dopamine is a false pleasure. You don't want that. Dopamine is the one that says, I feel that felt good and I need more, right? Serotonin is what you gets pumped into your brain when you have an actual quality social interaction with another human being. And serotonin is the one that says, I feel good and things are good. It's all good. <laughs> serotonin is felt cerebrally in your brain. It stimulates you. It's why even a 10-minute conversation about nothing important has been shown to improve your cognitive performance on a whole variety of subjects because uh, dopamine is felt almost entirely in your body and serotonin is felt in your brain. And so when you're, like, you're talking about how do I feel that dopamine, you don't want to. You want to have a truly engaged conversation, and so your brain will be flooded with serotonin, and eventually that will become a self-rewarding. Um, once you can break the dopamine addiction, that the serotonin will be self-rewarding. That's such a great twist on it. Thank you so much for that. Sure. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. It is the ultimate fitness tracker. It tracks three things, recovery, strain, and sleep. Diana, this is the listening episode, so I'm going to ask you, what do you love about your whoop this week? And I'll just be over here listening. Oh my God, I could just feel the good chemicals firing in my brain. That's what happens every time somebody asks me to talk about my whoop. This week, I'm most excited about the Alzheimer's study that whoop participated in. They were trying to figure out, turns out that you can tell symptoms or likelihood for Alzheimer's like 20 to 30 years before symptoms start appearing. And they were trying to use the sleep monitoring from the whoop to see if they could see some kind of correlation in the study. And uh, I have to dig deeper into the results, but this is what I do know, that 89% of the people participating in the study asked to keep their whoop after the study was over. Like it was supposed to last for six months. And they were like, we love this thing so much. Can we please keep using it? Those are smart people. And they know what they're talking about. Jason, what do you love about your whoop this week? Uh, this week, what I am really into about my whoop is that, you know, it scores every single workout and it tells you at the beginning of your workout based on how you recovered the day before, like what score you should aim for. And so now what I've started doing is like if I'm doing a weightlifting workout and it's supposed to be like a 9.0 day and I finish the weightlifting workout and it's like a 6.5, I just jump rope like a crazy person uh, until I'm at the nine. And then I'm like, I know that I did what I was supposed to do today. It's like your own personal trainer in your pocket telling you that you got more in you today that you need to work out for your heart health. Yeah. And it's sort of like, seriously, dude, I, I know you can do more. Like Literally, we know you can do more, so don't wimp out. I love hearing the results from our friends and folks who listen to the show who have started getting their own whoops. They are reporting improved sleep, drinking less alcohol, having fewer injuries, and it, it's an incredible product. Everybody should try it. I've seen them. They're better looking as well. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Whoop has generously offered our listeners 15% off your purchase with the code Diana. Just go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com. That's W-H-O-O-P dot com and use the code Diana at checkout to save 15% and optimize the way you live. 
The holidays are upon us, and that means lots of time off school for the kiddos. So to prepare for this season, I went to KiwiCo.com and ordered a bunch of activities for True to do with us during the time off. KiwiCo is uh, this great service. They create super cool hands-on projects for kids to make learning about STEAM fun. STEAM is science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Uh, It's designed by experts and tested by kids. There's no need to research or worry about gathering all the supplies. They do that for you. Uh, It is an awesome product. Let's see. This week, uh, True and I made um, bath bombs, which was really cool because we got to do like chemistry. And even though all the products were super safe, they sent little tiny gloves for him to wear, which he loved. And then uh, he and Diana did the like made this little basketball goal thing that involved a catapult. So he could like learn about physics. That was just two of the boxes this week. So the product is a monthly subscription box that comes with lots of different activities for any age group. But you can also go online and buy additional activities for busy times of year like this one. And each box comes with all the supplies that you need for the month's project. Detailed, easy to follow instructions written for kids that are super fun and an educational magazine to learn even more about whatever theme or topic you're working on. This holiday, give the gift of hands-on learning for tomorrow's makers. KiwiCo is a convenient, affordable way to encourage your children to be anything that they want to be. There's no commitment. You can cancel any time. Monthly options start at $16.95 a month, including shipping. For Diana's listeners, you can go to KiwiCo.com slash Diana. Yeah, you did it great. <laughs> yes, thank you. To get your first month free. Every day counts when it comes to making a difference, so don't miss out on this amazing opportunity. Again, go to KiwiCo.com slash Diana and get your first month free. That's KiwiCo.com slash Diana. Nailed it. I'm curious, what are the main misconceptions that people have about being good at conversation? Because I walked into this book thinking I felt like I understood and I was very wrong. So what are the top ones that we have wrong about being good conversationalists? So number one is that a good talker is a good conversationalist. It's not. You know, I tell this to businesses all the time, like when they're hiring salespeople, they'll hire salespeople who are good talkers who tell good stories and who are funny and all of those things. But it turns out that every time they research it, that the highest um, netting salespeople are the ones who listen most, the most closely, who have the best listening skills. So being engaging and outgoing does not make you a great conversationalist. You already touched on another one, which is that smart people are better in conversation. That's not true. And another one is that when you are listening to another person, you're doing that for their benefit. That's a big misconception. It is true that being heard, we all want to be heard, and being heard, feeling as though you are truly heard, is an incredible benefit to someone's uh, mental health and physical health. But What we forget, or maybe we didn't even know, is that listening to other people is unbelievably good for you. And I say unbelievably because it has so many different benefits. Physiologically, it lowers your cortisol levels. It lowers your heart rate. People who have good quality social interactions on a regular basis are less likely to um, have a fatal cardiac event. People who are friendly with their neighbors on a regular basis are less likely to get burglarized. They've even shown that um, having quality social interactions, women who have at least a few good friendships that they, they engage in regularly are more likely to beat 
cancer. Loneliness, the, the great researcher John Cacioppo, um, who we lost recently, once said that loneliness leaves its imprint on every cell of your body. And even while loneliness can't directly cause death, people who are lonely die younger. So I say this because listening to other people is the key, not the talking, but the listening part of it. It is by listening that we actually increase our empathy. Um, it's one of the most effective ways to increase your empathy by hearing someone else's experiences and perspectives. So all these things put together just show that physiologically, cognitively, listening to someone else, really allowing them to tell their story and hearing it is unbelievably beneficial for you. It's beneficial for them, but it's also something you're doing for yourself. I'm listening to you and I want you to keep going, but I now understand that part of listening is asking good questions to get the other person. You know, I can't just sit here quietly for the rest of the interview and have you run it. I have to say something to get you to say more interesting things I can listen to. So how do I ask good questions? Well, I mean, the first thing is to stop asking questions that are trying to dictate what I say in response. It's really funny. I Listen, so I one of the rude things that I do is I listen in on other people's conversations all the time. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always sitting in the train station or wherever listening to other people talking to each other. So there's this really interesting thing people have been doing for the past few years. They started asking questions and then guessing the answers. So I'll hear people say, um, hey, what time are you going to be home tonight? Six? Oh, no, wait, you have that one meeting that's going really late, so probably not till seven. Oh, except are you coming up 270? Because then you're going to hit traffic, and then I'm guessing you probably won't be in until eight, right? <laughs> and the other person says, yeah. <laughs> um, so we we have so much trouble letting go of control of a conversation, and we have so much trouble kind of opening ourselves to possibly be wrong about anything that we struggle to ask truly open-ended questions, open-ended questions that are short and simple and allow the other person to answer however they want. We'll say, Oh my God, you got in a car wreck yesterday. You must've been terrified. Were you terrified? Then what's happening is they're responding to the word terrified. Instead of you just asking what was that like? What were you feeling? What was going through your head? We start qualifying what their response might be. It's either terrified or not. It becomes a binary thing instead of a rich opportunity to describe what was happening. So as you're working with people, what are the biggest stumbling blocks that you encounter on, on like, what are the biggest barriers to being good at conversation? The number one biggest barrier right now is that people are purposefully um, avoiding talking to other people. For some reason, people have got it into their heads that sending a text or an email is just as good at or even more efficient and effective than getting on the phone. So they'll say, I need to ask this person something, but I don't want to get stuck in a phone call, so I'm going to send a text or I'm going to send an email or whatever it may be. And there is just no measure <laughs> by which an email or text is more efficient and effective as a communication technique than the voice. I mean, uh, 
have you ever called a friend and they said, hello, and you say, what's wrong? Yeah, right. A lot. Right. That is how quickly our brains pick up on the sound of a voice, the information that's being relayed just by the tone of a voice, the way the person's breathing. Human beings are so beautifully evolved to communicate through the voice better than, as far as we know, any other species. I mean, that's what we do best. That's what we do better than any other species. We can't run all that fast. We don't, there's a small window of temperatures in which we're comfortable. We're not particularly tough. You know, a lot of animals are, are just physically better than we are. But the thing that we do well is communicate through the voice and the ears. And for some reason, we're purposely choosing not to do it. I don't know why, since that makes us more socially isolated, isolated, which makes all us sick and depressed and sad, and yet we still do it. I, I don't, I don't, honestly, that's our number one stumbling block, and I, have, I don't fully understand why. And how do you evaluate yourself on whether you're practicing, you know, the principles as often as you should be? How, how do you check yourself? Ask other people. I, I do it all the time. Hey, say, listen, I say, hey, listen, I'm trying to stop repeating myself. If I repeat myself, will you gently tug on my sleeve? And I'll know when you do that. Oops, I just, I said that already. My son is way ruder about it. He'll, be, he'll <laughs> just say, you said that already, you dork. But um, I ask other people. I say, this is what I'm trying to do. You know how the, the, the doctors always say your diet will be more successful if you tell other people you're on a diet? I did not know that, but that sounds, I'm, I'm really into that. Yeah, it's true. Other people will hold you accountable. Keep in mind that human beings work best in groups. There is just decades upon decades of evidence showing that the smartest person in the world can't outperform a group of people. And the same thing is true with most of your skills. You on your own, I don't care how talented you are, are going to be not not measure up to if you made this a group project. So have other people help you out. And, and besides asking them on what you're doing wrong, it's like holding you accountable. I, I think in the book you talked about every time you repeat yourself, uh, you want you ask your son to say echo or something. Yeah, exactly. And he did that with a lot of glee. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Because that was one of my biggest, that was so hard to stop doing. Why? So hard. Why is that bad, repeating yourself? Because our brains learn that we repeat ourselves. Other people's brains learn that, and they learn it very quickly. So then they just stop listening to you. Uh, subconsciously, they know you repeat yourself, and so they don't listen because they know you'll say it again. And so it's not like they don't listen on the second rep repetition or the third. They don't listen on the first. So if, if you want people to actually hear you, you got to stop repeating yourself. Okay. Well, here's an evaluation portion. I, you know, I started the show actually to help people have me like be accountable to the things I want to change. But now that I have you here, we've been talking for all of 36 minutes. How, <laughs> how am I doing? What could I be doing better? Um, I think you're doing fine. I mean, you do seem to be genuinely curious. About, well, I've read the book. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm much better than I was a week ago. 
at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you do seem to be generally curious about the subject. And I, I totally believe that you want to work on what you're doing. I mean, I think that you did fine. I know, but I'm not, go- fine's not the goal, you know, here at professional AF. <laughs> the goal <laughs> is, you know, significant improvement. I don't know. I, I, don't, I just want to be better. Yeah. I mean, that's a great impulse, right? I think that if you're going to start improving on your conversations, what you're going to have to start doing is letting go of self-judgment. You know, there's this great study that came out not too long ago called The Liking Gap. And it was this attempt um, to figure out why we're avoiding conversations when they're so freaking good for us. And what they discovered, and it was a it was a big study. They followed people who were strangers and had just met, and they even followed people who were roommates for an entire year. And what they found was that we're better at this than we think. What gets in the way most of the time of our conversation is the voice in our own heads. That we're sitting there judging everything that we say. Was that funny? Was that stupid? Was that right? Was that wrong? And that means we're, we're missing the cues the other person is naturally giving out that they just enjoy talking to us, that they like us. That's why it's called the liking gap, because in the end, it turns out people like you more than you think. And, and in the end, if you can get out of your own way, good conversation is your biological and evolutionary superpower. You know how to do this. People um, naturally take turns when they're talking, if they can, again, sort of break out of some of the things that are getting in the way. They smile. They say, uh-huh. They, they keep, maintain eye contact a lot. We, we do these things naturally without having to worry about it. So I would say enjoy the moment and the conversation. You, later on, you can go back and say, this where, where this conversation started of later on sitting inside your house going, wait, that didn't go the way I wanted. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Right? But in the moment in that conversation, enjoy it. People like you more than you realize. Well, what a great way to end. Celeste, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. And good luck with all of these many projects you've done. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a lot. Uh, so much growth yeah. in, a, in a week-to-week format. It's, it's intense, but uh, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck with it. Uh, more power to you. Thank you. Is there a place where people can follow you, find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. My website has almost all of that material. It's at uh, CelesteHeadley.com. Awesome. We will link it in the show and send people your way. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great day. Jesse, I'm so glad that you're here so that I can have somebody to share this amazing interaction with right now. Wow. This is is fantastic. I mean, I just love that somebody else is listening to all these and having their (laughs) mind blown as much as I am. On a weekly basis. What is your biggest takeaway from the conversation? Well, none of this is like complex or elaborate by any means and how we're humans and we're designed to have conversations and meaningful relationships with people. But she makes this very simple. 
And my biggest takeaway is how we're terrible we are and having conversations with people. I want to interrupt you and talk about how <laughs> terrible I am at this. And that was my biggest realization. I mean, that was like a big awakening for me. I really thought I had this conversation thing down. <laughs> and then I learned, you know, the 16 different ways that I could be doing it much better. Same Z's. Really? Yes. Okay, what's one thing? I feel like you're about to ask me about myself, but I feel like I'm not supposed to talk about myself now. I'm just, oh my God, what's happening? What's one thing you're going to do differently as a result of the show? So I, one of the things that I noticed is I try to jump in and assume I know what you're going to say next. And I that really drives me nuts. So I want to pay attention to that. And would you mind holding me accountable for that? I will hold you accountable to that. I would appreciate that. Okay, here's something I would like you to hold me accountable to, mm -hmm. Jesse. I, you know, whenever somebody is telling a story, whatever it is, again, my brain, as we talked about in the interview, is immediately like, okay, what is an experience I've had that's similar that I can share? Mm -hmm. Because I feel like that's a way to connect, which it actually isn't <laughs> opposite. So I would like to not share a personal experience that's related, but instead ask a follow-up question. So please hold me accountable. Hmm. If if you're telling me a story and I start sharing something that I did that was similar, you like bazinga me or something. <laughs> bazinga. But what if I like the story? Just no. All right. I'm all working right, on it. Bazinga. <laughs> I'll do it like one out of ten times that I think about it. You all know? Right. Okay, well let's take this conversation offline online. Let's take it online <laughs> on to the, the Facebook line. group. <laughs> professional AF podcast insiders where all the cool kids hang out. Lots of people who listen to the show and we can keep talking about the things that you're going to do differently as a result of the show and what kind of feedback you're getting as a result of trying out the individual tactics. Love it. Sound good? Let's hold each other accountable. I am Diana Kander here with Jesse J reminding you that curiosity is your superpower. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We will talk to you soon. Soon. 